Good morning. In February, we're going to start a new series through the book of Ruth. And then in March, we're going to be in the book of Acts. So we have a couple of Sundays here in January where we're not in a series. And I'd like to speak to you about the subject of blessing, God's blessing on our lives. And this morning, I want us to turn to one of my favorite stories in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis 32 on how God breaks us in order to bless us. And this is a great time to remind you of the after-service discussion sheets we've got out back there. They're a great thing to grab as you come into church to maybe help you think about the Word of God and questions to be thinking about while I'm preaching, while we're preaching. And then it's a great opportunity to look at something that you can talk about Uh, later on in the week as well. So this morning, as we read this passage together, think about what it is that Jacob really needed more than anything else. And let me read God's word beginning at verse 22 of Genesis 32. Let's worship God through the hearing of his word. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two slave women, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we pray that your word would speed ahead and be honored in our church and in our lives today. Make your word a swift word that passes from our ears into our hearts and then into our lips and into our conversation this week. And Lord, just as the rain doesn't come down from heaven and the snow doesn't come down without watering the earth and making it bear fruit, Lord, we pray that your word would accomplish the same purpose in our lives that it would bear fruit for the glory of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you resonate with the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes this story in Genesis 32. He wrote, For all of us, the way into the promised land passes through the night. We, too, only enter it as those strangely marked with scars from the struggle with God. We enter into the land of God as limping warriors. 
Maybe that's how you feel going into this new year. You're not even sure you're going to be able to make it through the winter, let alone a whole new year. Life might feel like a great struggle for you right now, like a wrestling match. Or maybe you feel like you've got the wind at your back and things are flowing pretty smoothly right now. But you know that if you follow Jesus, we're told in the Bible that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not always going to be smooth sailing. So I want to talk to you today about a God who makes us limp. A God who breaks us in order to bless us. A God who disables us in order to teach us to dance. A God who wrestles us down in order to make us whole. Are you ready to hear about a God like that? Because that's the kind of God we have in the Bible. Jacob's whole life up until this point has been a wrestling match. It's been a life of constant strife. If Jacob was on Instagram, his story would look pretty sketchy. You'd be wondering, should I unfollow this guy? Starting with his baby picture, posted by his mother, Rebecca. He's there lying beside his twin brother, Esau, with his hand grasping Esau's heel the way he came out of the womb. Jacob's name, his very name means he grasps the heel. He supplants. He undermines. He deceives. How would you like to have a name like that? Deceiver. And as you scroll through his profile, one thing you notice is that there are a lot of pictures of Jacob with his mother, but not a whole lot with his dad. Isaac, his father, is often in the background with Esau, his brother. And this is troubling to Jacob. He longs for his father's blessing. And for most of his life, he's going to be striving, wrestling for this blessing that it seems he cannot obtain. So much so, at one point in his life, he's willing to dress up like Esau. You can see a picture of him one day dressed up in these skins of young goats, going in to deceive his elderly father, Isaac, to trick him into giving him the blessing that belonged to Esau, the older son. And as Jacob's deceptive character emerges, more and more relationships in his life are filled with tension and struggle. His brother Esau wants to kill him. He's forced to flee from his home. There's no record of him ever seeing his mother, Rebecca, again. And then there's his uncle, Laban. Laban, on his wedding night, you can see a picture of him kind of grinning and snickering as he brings out the veiled daughter, Leah, to give Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel, the, the one he thought he was marrying. Jacob, the deceiver, is being deceived. And by the time we get to our passage today, Jacob has been running for his life, living in exile for 20 years, and every relationship in his life is in turmoil because all his life long, he's been manipulating and deceiving and wrestling with others. He's been wrestling with his father, wrestling with his brother, wrestling with his uncle. By the time we get to chapter 32, Jacob is tired of wrestling. He's come to the point where he can't run anymore. He's aching for refuge. He's panting for peace. He's turning toward home. But he has a grave concern. What's going to happen when Esau sees him? So he sends his servants ahead of him to convey a message of peace to his brother Esau. 
And his messengers return with ominous news. You can read it in verse 6. We went to your brother Esau, they say. He is coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. So Jacob is understandably greatly afraid and distressed. And he prepares for the worst by by dividing his people and his flocks and herds into two camps so that if Esau comes to one camp and destroys it, at least half of his possessions will still escape. Jacob is concerned about losing his family, his servants, his flocks. He's concerned about his future. He's concerned about how God's promises to him are going to prevail if Esau comes and takes vengeance on him. So Jacob prays in verse 9, and it's the longest prayer that we read in the book of Genesis. Let's read it together. He says, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family, and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers, and their children. You have said, I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. So Jacob is is reminding God of the covenant promises that he made, first with his, his grandfather Abraham, then with his father Isaac, and then with himself, Jacob. And after praying, he acts strategically in verses 13 through 21. He sends his servants ahead with an entourage of gifts fit for the king, and he divides them into two droves. And we see his motive in verse 20. He thought... I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him, and perhaps he will forgive me. Now, can you picture Jacob that night in front of the campfire, pacing back and forth, brooding in his thoughts, just filled with panic and anxiety about the day that is to come? He's got one thing on his mind, one thing that he cannot shake from his thoughts. It preoccupies him so much that he cannot sleep. How will Esau respond to me? What if Esau kills my wives, my children, takes away my flocks and possessions? Will Esau be reconciled to me? You know what it's like when sleep evades you. You just can't think about anything but this thought that's just churning in your mind. You're tossing and turning, wondering about what the next day might bring. And the thing is, though Esau is indeed a great problem for Jacob, Esau is not Jacob's biggest problem. Esau is not Jacob's most formidable adversary. Esau is not the one with whom Jacob most needs to be reconciled. There is one greater than Esau with whom Jacob must come to terms this night. And until Jacob comes face to face with him, he will not have confronted the most consequential issue of his life. Listen, what if the thing you're most worried about right now, what if the thing that you're most preoccupied in your life with right now is actually 
far from the most significant thing in your life? What if you're striving after something that seems so great, nothing else really matters to you, but it's actually not the issue of greatest consequence in your life? What if there's an even greater issue than the issue that keeps you up at night? It's more important than any human relationship, more important than your marital, marital status, more important than your rebellious child, more important than your failing health, more important than your financial security. It's more important than 100 things that trouble your mind. And yet, what if you've never given sufficient attention to this one thing that's most needful? What if you've never come face to face with the most important relationship in your life and your greatest need? Are you ready to face it? The most important thing? Are you ready to come to terms with the thing that you need most, more than anything? For Jacob, that time has come. God's going to make Jacob realize that he's been striving after lesser things, missing the most needful thing. And I want us to pay attention to how God does it because the way God worked with Jacob is the way he works in the lives of all his children whom he's eager to bless. It's painful, but it's productive. It's severe, but it's a severe mercy. Without this painful process, we too often be content to take a pass on God's blessing. We'd be far too satisfied with ourselves and what we have in this life and what we can attain through our own strivings if God did not work in our lives in ways similar to the way he works in Jacob's life. So in God's severe mercy, he employs three painful but productive strategies to bring Jacob and to bring us to the place where we can appreciate the value of his blessing on our lives. First, he isolates us, then he assails us, and then he weakens us. Are you ready to deal with this God? You ready to encounter him? The first painful but productive means God uses in our lives is God isolates us to arrest our attention. We must not overlook the very significant phrase at the beginning of verse 24. Jacob was left alone. He has no one else to rely on, no one else to protect him, nothing in his hands, everything's been relinquished, sent on ahead of him, because this is where God needs him to be in order to get his attention. Jacob was left alone. And one day, each and every one of us is going to be in exactly the same position. We will be left alone. Everything we own, everything we know, will be separated from us. Maybe it will come in a hospital, when you're being rolled away on a stretcher into a surgery room, all your friends and family are in the waiting room. And at that moment, the only thing that's going to matter to you is where am I at with the one who made me, with God? No one else can have this encounter for you. It's really easy to be swept along with the tide when it comes to religion. It's really easy to kind of 
enjoy the experience of being in a big group of people singing and praising the Lord. And I'm all for group gatherings like we have here on Sunday morning or small groups like we have in homes. The Bible puts a lot of emphasis on the truth that we cannot grow in our relationship with Christ apart from being connected with other believers. It's very important. But it's equally important for us to realize that Jesus calls his disciples one by one. One at a time. We each need to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That's where being a Christian begins. It begins with a personal encounter with the one who loves you, who lived for you, who died on the cross for you, who rose again from the dead for you. You can't be ready to stand before God until you've had personal dealings with him one by one. We come into this world as individuals and we will die alone. And death is like a great river that we have to pass through. And no one can carry us through that river. There's not going to be any worship band, any Bible study leader, any pastor there who can just transport you across. You go through that river alone. And on the other side, you will stand before the God who created you as an individual in his image with a never dying soul. He will summon you into his very presence. And at that moment, nothing will matter except one thing. Have I been reconciled to this God? Am I in a right relationship with him? Have my sins been forgiven? Do I know that he welcomes me as his child into his presence? That's the only thing that will matter at that point. And that is by far the most consequential issue any of us can face. You may be going through a time of isolation in your life right now when it seems like no one really understands. When, when people that you kind of relied on can't really help you in this situation and you're alone. And that isolation could be a godsend. It could be God's way of preparing you to meet him in a deeply personal way. If you're feeling isolated right now, I would encourage you in the words of James the Apostle, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Use this as a time to recognize that he is the one that matters more than anything else in all your life. God does at times isolate us to arrest our attention, to eliminate distractions, to prepare us to meet him in a whole new way. Then the second means we see him employing to get Jacob to appreciate his blessing is that God assails us. He assails us to rid us of our self-sufficiency. I realize that's a strong word. God assails us. But how else can you describe what Jacob experiences in verse 24? While he's left all alone, Suddenly, a man much stronger than he emerges from the dark and tackles him down to the ground. And a night-long wrestling match ensues. Who is this mysterious man? Well, look at verse 30. Jacob leaves us in no doubt when he says, I have seen God face to face. God gets a hold of Jacob. God assails Jacob. God ambushes Jacob in the middle of the night. This is not a nice, tame, 
easygoing God we're dealing with here. The God of the Bible is not tame. Tim Chester says, this story reveals an important dimension to our relationship with God that our sentimental age often fails to see. God is dangerous. He is the aggressor in the narrative. He is not comfortable to have around. Are you ready to deal with a God like this? Because this is the only God there is. This is the God of the Bible. And this is something that every true Christian gets a taste of. We don't all experience it in the same way as Jacob does or to the same degree that he does. But a Christian is a person who has been apprehended, who has been dealt with by God. A Christian is someone whom God has gotten a hold of. God has taken you up. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave you the way you are. I'm going to disrupt your life now. I'm going to interrupt you and all your plans and ambitions. And you're going to have to deal with me now. Every Christian experiences that to one degree or another. This Christian life is not just a casual, easygoing, safe, undemanding relationship. Jesus told us very clearly, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give up everything. I own all of you. God gets a hold of your life. He arrests you. He captures your attention. He brings you low. He shows you who you really are. He shows you you cannot win the ultimate battle of your life in your own strength. He brings you to a place of submission and surrender to him. And that often involves a real struggle, wrestling, difficulty, As the day is breaking, this mysterious man who is wrestling with Jacob shows Jacob that he's been holding back. Look at verse 25. When the man saw that he could not defeat him because of how tenacious Jacob was, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. With a mere touch, bing, the hip is out of joint. Clearly, the point is not who is the stronger one in this wrestling match. Clearly, if this is about physical strength, this man who's been wrestling with Jacob could have put an end to Jacob in the very first instant. All he had to do was touch his hip and the hips out of joint. There's something deeper going on. Jacob is finally facing a battle that he cannot win in his own strength. He's meant more than his match here. And all he can do is cling to the one who is stronger than he. That's where God wants to bring all of us. You've heard the word faith a lot, I'm sure. What is faith, really? Faith is clinging tenaciously to the one who is stronger than we are. That's what faith is. And you know what? Sometimes we think it's going to feel so good to to grow spiritually. I can't wait to see how much progress I'm going to make in 2022 in my growth as a Christian. Oh, it's going to be fun. And you know what? Often it feels like an all-night wrestling match. Often it feels like your hip being put out of joint. That's what it feels like to grow spiritually. We go through experiences in our lives where we feel like we're being ambushed, but they're designed by God to rid us 
of our self-sufficiency to set us free from the self and pride that just colors everything about us and to bring us to a place where we find our joy and satisfaction in him alone. Can you trust a God like this? Can you trust that this God is for you even when it feels like he's wrestling against you? God isolates us. God assails us. And the third painful but powerful means he employs to bring us to a point where we can appreciate and receive his blessing is that God weakens us to make us desperate for his blessing. Verse 26. Then the man said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. And it's not because this man's tired of wrestling. It's because this man knows that if Jacob is going to see him face to face, if Jacob looks at this man in the face, Jacob will die. He'll perish on the spot. But Jacob is tenacious. What does Jacob say? He says, end of verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The one you've been... Wrestling, you've been wrestling me down. I'm not letting go of you unless you bless me. Jacob should be running away for fear of his life at this point, but he says, I can't. I can't. I'm going to hold on for dear life because he's realizing that everything I've been striving for, everything I've been so desperate to attain all my life long, it's here. It's in this, this one who is now with me. He is the one I need. He is the one who can give me what my heart has been longing for. Tim Keller describes it like this. He, he, he pictures what's going on in Jacob's mind, and he says, Jacob's thinking like this, what an idiot I've been. Here's what I've been looking for all my life. Here's the approval I've been looking for in my father's face. Here's the beauty I've been looking for in Rachel's face. All my life when I was dealing and wrestling with other people, I didn't realize that this is what I needed. I need you to bless me. And until you are a permanent presence in my life, nothing else matters. I don't care that you just broke my hip. I don't care about the pain. I don't care if the sun comes up and die. I would rather die than lose your blessing. This is what I've been longing for my whole life long. That's what's happening. This has been the struggle of Jacob's life, to experience the blessing of God. And here he finds the answer to his struggle. It's by clinging desperately to God and not letting go. Instead of wrestling against him, it's as he clings desperately to him in faith. That's where Jacob finds the blessing. He sees now how desperately he needs the grace of God. And if you look at verse 27, you'll see how he confesses his need for grace. The man asks him, what is your name? And it's right here, just one word. This is Jacob's act of confession when he just says, my name is Jacob. It's who I am. I'm the deceiver. I'm the supplanter. I'm the manipulator. I'm the schemer. God be merciful to me, the sinner. He stands in front of this one who sees into the core of his being. His soul is unmasked. 
He realizes all things are naked and laid bare before the one, the eyes of the one to whom I must give an account. And instead of trying to cover up who he really is, he acknowledges the truth about himself. This is his act of repentance. I am Jacob, the deceiver. The, the prophet Hosea describes how Jacob won the victory in Hosea 12, verses 3 and 4. And listen to what it says. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. And he found that favor. That's why it says in verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. When he became weak, that's when he became strong. That's when God gave him a new name, a new identity, Israel, which means he strives with God and prevails. And now that he's encountered God and now that he's experienced this new identity, he wants more and more and more of him. So he asks him in verse 29, please tell me your name. But the man answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. He blessed him there. The Bible doesn't tell us what exactly was said to Jacob in those moments. But as we read the rest of the story of Jacob, we know the trajectory of his life changes after this point. We know that Jacob calls the name of this place Peniel, for he says, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. And we know that Jacob limped into the sunlight of that new day, a new man. And brothers and sisters, as we look forward to whatever it is that God has in store for us in this year, the trials, the temptations, the difficulties, and the joys, we need to come face to face with the same thing Jacob needed to realize. What we need more than anything is to live under the blessing of God, to have his presence in our lives. That's what we're hungry for. Without the Father's blessing, we're doomed. Without the Father's blessing, we're restless. That's why Tom Brady said after winning three Super Bowl rings, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think it's got to be more than this. And then he got four more Super Bowl rings. And I think he's probably realizing those didn't satisfy either. The movie maker Sidney Pollack couldn't stop working, even when he was sick, even when he is dying. And here's why. He said, every time I finish a picture, I feel I've earned my stay for another year or so. This is what makes me feel validated. This is where I find my identity, making another picture. That's why Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Underneath all our strivings, we're desperate for our Father's blessing. We're desperate to experience him saying, I love you, I accept you, I welcome you, you are mine. And the thing is, we don't, we don't recognize that just from hearing it. We have to experience something of what Jacob experienced to really understand it. We have to wrestle. We have to struggle. 
We have to go through weakness and suffering and pain and difficulty so that we come to the end of ourselves so God has his ways of bringing us low. He isolates us. He assails us. He ambushes us. He weakens us. He breaks us in order that he may bless us. And I'm asking you today, church, I'm asking you, can you trust a God like this? Because this is the only God we have. This is how he works. Can you trust that his heart is good? That when he's breaking you, he's not enjoying watching you squirm. He's breaking in order to bless. That's what he delights in. Can you cling to a God who has struck you and not let go of him and not turn your back on him because you know that in him, your soul will find everything that your heart has been longing for. In him, this whole creation that's groaning is going to find everything that it was created for, everything creation is longed for. It's all going to become new in him. It's his blessing that the world aches for. Can you trust him? I say you can trust a God like this when you look at Jesus. When you realize what he is really like. He, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So where do we see Jesus in this story? Well, we get glimmers of him and the man who wrestled with Jacob that night who did not use his full power against Jacob, but instead came to him in humility and in weakness. If he had used his full power, he would have crushed Jacob. Instead, he withheld his power and justice, and he heard Jacob's cry of faith, and he gave him the blessing that he longed for. Isn't that the way our Savior has dealt with us? But more than in the wrestler we see a glimpse of what Jesus is like in Jacob himself. Jacob also points us to Jesus. Jacob wrestled all night. So did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jacob was struck by God. Our Lord Jesus was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds were healed. The reason God can bless Jacob, who deserved a curse, is because God cursed Jesus, the only son who ever deserved the Father's blessing. I love how Pastor Daryl Dash puts it. He says, Jesus became the victor because he went to the cross as the victim. He would not let go until he had received the blessing. The weight of divine justice that would have crushed Jacob instead crushed Jesus. Jacob held on at the risk of his life to get the blessing for himself. Jesus held on at the cost of his life to obtain the blessing for us. Thank you, Jesus. So as we apply this into our lives, I want to say to you, friends, 
whatever it takes for God to rid you of your self-sufficiency, welcome it. Welcome it. If it feels like solitary isolation, feels like you're being ambushed and assaulted, learn with Charles Spurgeon to kiss the wave that throws you up against the rock of ages. Kiss that wave. Because it's casting you upon the only one who can really satisfy, who can really bless. Whatever it takes, and we all need it, to be rid of this self-sufficiency that's just so toxic. It just crowds out God. Welcome it in your life. Better to enter into the land of God as a limping warrior than to gain the whole world but lose your soul, right? And the second application is be sure, friend, that you are trusting in Christ alone, that he is the one in whom your hope is found, that he's the one you're building your life upon. He's the only one who can satisfy you for eternity. Make sure that you are building your life upon Christ alone, nothing else. And, and one great question to diagnose if you are doing that is to ask, you, ask yourself this question. If you had to let go of everything else dear to you in this world, let go of everything else, but you could hold on to one thing, what would you hold on to? For a true Christian, that answer, though it's, it's difficult to think of losing everything else, the answer is, is pretty simple. We'd hold on to Jesus. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. That's what a Christian says. I can lose everything else. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but Jesus, full of grace and truth. He's the one I need. He's the one I'm going to cling to. Give me Jesus, and I'm going to be all right. That's what we're going to sing about as the worship team comes now and leads us. We're going to sing in Christ alone.